If English was good enough for Jesus Christ, it ought to be good enough for the children of Texas. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. This week... We look at the unlikely return to power of Texas' first political dynasty and the remarkable story of how Texas got the very first woman governor in the return of Ma and Pa Ferguson. But first, what's in your wallet? <laughs> uh, you know, folks, these are hard questions to come up with. Uh, so, so this week we're calling an audible. And if you look at my wallet, why, well, you'll find a Texas driver's license, of course. <laughs> That's cheating. We're Texas yeah. adjacent this week. Um, I have a 24-hour fitness card that I haven't used in four years, but it works all across the state of Texas. Well, there you go. Um, I've got a Costco card. Um, I'm really super glad they came to Texas because we buy a lot of stuff there. In August 1917, the Texas Senate voted to remove Governor James Paul Ferguson from office and make him ineligible to hold any office of honor, trust, or profit in the state. The country lawyer turned politician had picked a fight with the University of Texas over his choice of faculty and had dangerously overreached his power. Rather than submitting to the judgment, Ferguson resigned his office but unsuccessfully fought the decision in the Texas Supreme Court. It would seem that the political life of Paul Ferguson was forever over in the state of Texas. You couldn't tell Paul that, though. An impeachment by the legislature sustained by the Supreme Court ordering that he was ineligible to hold any office in the state, wasn't going to stop Paul Ferguson from being involved in Texas politics. In 1918, he went ahead and threw his hat in the ring for the Democratic Party gubernatorial nomination. But he was defeated by William P. Hobby. In 1920, assuming that the state legislature had no authority over the presidential election, he decided to run for president, founding his own party, the American Party. He came in sixth, only appearing on the ballot in Texas. In 1922, he unsuccessfully ran for U.S. Senate from the state of Texas. In 1924, he finally clued in to the fact that he couldn't run for state office under his own name. So he decided to do the next best thing. He pushed for Miriam Ma Ferguson to run for the governorship, his wife. Despite the fact that Ma had never been involved in politics other than to support her husband, she did have some advantages as a candidate. First of all, her opponents were Judge Felix Robertson, a candidate openly endorsed by the Ku Klux Klan, and George Butte, a former UT law professor and a Republican. The Fergusons had always strongly opposed the Klan, and of course a Republican candidate in Texas at this time was always going to be a long shot. Ma's second advantage was Pa himself. She told voters that she would follow the advice of her husband, and Texas would thus get, quote, two governors for the price of one. A common campaign slogan was, Me for Ma, and I ain't got a darn thing against Pa. This appealed to the simple farmers who'd always supported Pa Ferguson and never gave a hoot about his feud with Texas' educated elite and the press. The Fergusons beat Robertson for the Democratic nomination and beat Butte in the general election, though Butte did better than any Republican had done since the Reconstruction. Miriam Ferguson became the first woman to be elected governor of any state, Though less than two weeks before her inauguration, Wyoming's First Lady Nellie Taylor Ross was sworn in as that state's governor after the sudden death of her husband. 
For the third time, the Fergusons moved back into the Texas governor's mansion. Their top priorities were opposing the Klan, cutting state appropriations, and, of course, clearing Pa Ferguson's name. Now, given the nature of the new first family, it's no surprise that controversy characterized her first administration. She lived up to her campaign promise to secure an anti-mask law against the Klan, but the law was overturned by a Klan-sympathetic court. The promise to cut the state appropriation budget was met by increasing state expenditures slightly. However, the University of Texas appropriation bill was amended to completely and totally defund the School of Journalism, costing William Mays his job. So, wouldn't you know who won the pony? Despite being a fiscal conservative, she also pushed for implementation of both state sales and income tax. She also continued her husband's push for education reform, although her opponents labeled her as backwards and ignorant. She was even attributed with a quote that had actually been around for some time, which went something like, quote, if English was good enough for Jesus Christ, it ought to be good enough for the children of Texas. She Most didn't actually of, say that? No, she actually didn't. Uh, that quote came actually, it's first seen back in the 1880s. So hmm. it was. It, she is attributed with it, but it is actually, uh, there's been some debunking of that. Don't believe everything you read on the internet, folks. Yeah, unless it's, you know, information that you actually find on the internet. That'd probably be on a meme somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Most of the discontent with the Ma Ferguson administration centered on irregularities in the pardons and parole process and in the allocation of highway department road contracts. Ma pardoned about 100 convicts a month, and she was accused of accepting bribes of land and cash payments in exchange. The critics also alleged that the State Highway Commission granted road contracts to Ferguson friends and political supporters in return for kickbacks, because this had never happened in politics anywhere before Ferguson was in office. There was an attempt in the legislature to impeach her, but it didn't go anywhere, and Ma lost the 1926 Democratic nomination to Attorney General Dan Moody anyway. In the 1928 election, the Fergusons set out a political campaign for the first time since 1914. But they did give their support to Lewis J. Wardlaw, who lost to Moody. In 1930, Pa tried once again to get his name on the ballot for the governorship, but the Texas Supreme Court again rejected him. So once again, they threw Ma's name into the ring for the Democratic nomination, which she lost to Houston oil man Ross Sterling. The loss was fortunate for the Fergusons, though, because the Sterling administration coincided with the very worst effects of the Great Depression on Texas. Millions of Texans were out of work or losing their farms either to the banks or the Dust Bowl. In 1932, Farmer Jim and Humble Ma appealed once again to the common voters of the state. She promised that she would lower taxes and cut state expenditures and condemned alleged waste, graft, and political favoritism by the Sterling-controlled Highway Commission, which is kind of ironic when you think about it. Ma Ferguson narrowly defeated Sterling for the nomination, but she quite easily breezed past the Republican candidate in the general election. Her second administration wasn't as controversial as her first. She continued to push for state income tax and sales tax, and she actually did hold the line on state expenditures. And she continued education reform, such as establishing the University of Houston in 1934. Go she also, Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Ma. She also continued to issue gobs of pardons, totaling 4,000 in her two terms, although this time it didn't generate as much opposition since the financially strapped state could barely afford to keep their prison open in the first place. 
Still, in 1936, the state constitution was amended to drastically reduce the ability of the governor to grant pardons or paroles to prisoners, and this was partially in result of Ma Ferguson's two administrations. Now, more controversial and disruptive in this term was Ma's feud with the Texas Rangers. The Rangers, which had been cut drastically down to 45 officers due to the state's fiscal woes, still endorsed Sterling during the 1932 election. When Ma Ferguson was elected, she decided to fire the lot of them, dissolving the entire branch in 1933. This caused the state's law enforcement apparatus to dissolve into chaos, which prompted the legislature to reorganize it by reforming the Rangers and merging it with the Highway Patrol in 1935. They formed the Department of Public Safety and changed the way that Rangers were appointed. The means of advancement from state trooper to Texas Ranger through experience and capability is still largely intact today and is due to the unintended legacy of the Ferguson administration. With the 1934 election, the Fergusons, now in their late 60s, stepped away from politics. Their brand of populism faded and gave way to the New Deal policies of the Roosevelt administration. Pa Ferguson did lend his advice to the charismatic radio personality and flower magnet W. Lee Papio Daniel when he successfully ran for governor. In 1940, once again, Ma Ferguson made a go for the governorship against O'Daniel. Ma and Pa campaigned half-heartedly, and it was clear that O'Daniel was just too popular to unseat. Pass the biscuits, Pappy! For the last time, the Fergusons retired to private life in Austin. James Paul Ferguson died on September 21, 1944, and was buried in the State Cemetery in Austin. Miriam Ma Ferguson survived her husband by 16 years, dying in Temple in 1961 at the age of 86. She is buried next to her husband at the State Cemetery. I mean, it's an interesting it's an interesting run that these guys had. I mean, they seem oddly lucky and very good timing. It's just the image of Paw for the night through the 1920s, just trying every angle that he could to get back back into Texas politics. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like a guy who didn't like to lose. No, he did not like to lose. Hey, I'm going to run for governor. You can't run for governor. I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> Well, you can't well, be governor. Well, I'm going to get my wife to run, and I'll yeah. help her make all the decisions. Hey, what? I'll be president. That'll show you. And then I'll be senator. Nope, that's not. Yeah, well, I guess my <laughs> wife can run. But th- I think it is It is very, of course, not ironic at all that the very first thing that they did was, we're going to cut appropriations. What we mean by that is we're going to cut that that department that we tried to cut, you know, 15 years ago. <laughs> it got paw impeached we're going to get rid of the university of texas uh school of journalism and they they got it done you know that was that was the thing that they wanted to get done and they did it by gosh yeah business as usual business as usual in the 20th century early 20th century i guess yeah and i don't like the uh you know pardoning people for money i mean i guess it makes sense if you're a little under budget need to get things going um mom and pa were just some really canny uh political operators that seemed to be in the right place at the right time and gather the support they needed um in the context of uh politics as a whole uh, most of the things they did were not all that different than what the other governors were doing um, some of it was more egregious, I guess, but uh, the whole idea of awarding contracts to your friends and getting kickbacks, yeah, 
you know, kind of one of those things that happens. My kind of take is, is that, I mean, outside of the good parts of the book, The Great Gatsby, this was a terrible time to live because it was shortly followed by the Great Depression. You had the stupid flapper thing, and then you went right into world, world war conflicts. You know, the thing is, it's kind of like Nixon, that they, they sort of got caught doing things that everybody else was already doing. You know, they, they, the microscope was turned on them. Um, it's like, you know, never, no one had ever, ever given out contracts to their friends and their political <laughs> allies for, you know, road appropriations or anything like that. That, that never happened anywhere. Uh, right. It all went wrong after the sinking of that damn Titanic. Well, yeah, if you'd, if you'd survived the First World War and the Spanish flu, um, then you had the 1920s, and then you had the Great Depression and World War II. So it's a wonderful time to be alive. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or get yourself to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. If you like this show, tell your friends and please leave a review on iTunes because that helps us out to find listeners just like you. Do you want to support our show financially? Please go to patreon.com slash Podcast, where you too can become a Come and Take It Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.